Blog Talk Radio. Whose report do you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. I need everybody's help with this, all right? Whose report? Time. 
We want you to know that we don't own the rights to any of the music that you hear today, but we pray that it is a blessing to you, to you, and to you. And so that was Vincent Bohannon and the sound of victory. I believe God. And you need to make that declaration on this Saturday, February 26, 2022. I believe God. That's it. That's all. That settles it. I believe God. It's all you stand on your own faith and on your own conviction. Well, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbors to log on to www.blogtalkradio.com slash global hyphen gospel while we are still live on the air. Our call-in number in studio when we open up the lines, 619-924-0800. Jot that number down, 619-924-0800. We would like for you to connect with us on social media. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, we are on Twitter, and we are on Tumblr. If you go to our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or our Tumblr page, there is a direct link to each and every episode. In addition to those platforms, we are also syndicated on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And so you can listen to Global Gospel anytime of day or night. You can listen to this episode as well at the conclusion of the hour. Well, we want to shout out our sponsors on today, Prize Melinus Factory, and, and Happy, Healthy, Functioning, Abyssinia, and the Black Family Mediation Services, Ryan Wilson, Marlon Townsend, Nicole Lawson, our sister Lois Glenn Carter. And what you should know is that Melanist Factory and Melanated Beards is also offering a discount. And so that discount code is HBDMPT, HBDMPT. Now, that list discount will not last forever, so you need to jump on that right now before the day is over. HBDMPT is the discount code, special discount code. And then we shout out you, our listeners, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, California, uh, Michigan, Illinois. Thank God for you, you, and you. Shout out to the Furman family, the Green family, the Locke family, the Norman family, the Bradley family, the Stevenson family, the Townsend family, the Riddell family, uh, the Thompson family, the Natali family, shout out to you, you, and you. I cannot name everybody, the Wiggins family, but if you uh, leave a comment or a post on our page, certainly we will have the opportunity to shout you out as well, or you can also call in at the appointed time, and uh, Sister Carter, she is uh, listening on today, and Sister Thompson as well, they left a comment, so just follow suit, amen? So we thank God for you, you, and you, our listeners. If you want to connect with Global Gospel, you can connect with one that is in Hempstead, New York, where the zip code is 11550. Our email address is globalgospel17 at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. We will be delighted to hear from you and to share with you. Well, for those of you that have tuned in for the first time, we want to share with you the purpose and the meaning behind Global Gospel. Well, our theme scripture, if you don't if you don't know or if you're tuning in for the first time, comes from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3, and it simply says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I'm going to stop right there and put a pen right there. But the gospel is here today to free you, to heal you, to deliver you, to save you, and to set you free. And certainly the only way it can't do those things is if you are blind and if you are lost. And we pray today uh, that none be lost, but that all would come and walk in the light the light of God, light of God's goodness, to walk in his favor and his blessings before, because the gospel is comprehensive. It meets every need. 
in your life, if you have a spiritual need, most importantly, if you have a financial need, the gospel is there to be a blessing to you, to you, and to you. And it's all possible because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and lived for us, and certainly he died for us and shed his blood for us, and certainly we have life and have it more abundantly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In addition, the gospel is being spread everywhere, and certainly that is a a blessing that the gospel is uh, around the world, and certainly not just in our homes or just not in our neighborhoods. But So we want to shout out a few of those worldwide listeners in Canada, in Mexico, in Brazil, in Jamaica, West Indies, in Spain, South Africa, Namibia, Australia, Japan, Korea, India, Hungary, Poland, the United Kingdom. We thank God for you, you and you. Continue to tune in and be blessed by God's word. Certainly, we do have a special guest on today, and we will be hearing from that special guest in a few minutes. We are going to take a break, and we are are continuing to celebrate celebrate Black History Month. And with that being said, stay tuned and be blessed. you listeners for those of you that have just tuned in you're listening to global gospel i'm your host reverend lamar townsend and our special guest is here with us today god bless you special guest how are you i am fine thank god how um and i'm i'm, I'm really excited to be here with you today 
thanks for inviting me. Well, we uh, we share that in that excitement, and we thank you again as well for uh, sharing with us and taking time out of your busy schedule. For those that didn't catch the voice, tell our listeners who you are. Oh, well, my name is Shelley Braisley. I am a longtime resident of the Incorporated Village of Hempstead, and um, I've just been here most of my life. Okay. So, well, we thank you, uh, one of our uh, local uh, celebrities, <laughs> uh, for sharing with us again on this uh Saturday afternoon. So uh, we started off, this is a a selection of your choice, Uh, Thank You, Lord, and it is uh, a song of my choice. And so tell us, why did you pick that song on today? Okay, so as I said, I've been in Hempstead most of my life. My family church was Antioch Baptist. Um, And then uh, when I was old enough to make a choice, you know, when I got in high school, King's Temple Church of God in Christ became my home church. And so I sang with Benny Cummings in the King's Temple Choir and later on the Benny Cummings Singers. Um, And that was one of my favorite songs um, that we recorded. We recorded about five albums, and um, that's one of my favorites. Awesome. So as we uh, embark on uh, continuing uh, uh, to share with our listeners with Black History Month, and this is the, the last last Saturday of February in Black History Month, but Black History is every day for us, uh, for people of color. And so uh, we do know that uh, the Benning Cummings and the King Temple Choir are an important part of uh, black gospel music history, part of our local history, national history, worldwide, Hempstead history. Uh, and it is awesome that you are a part of sharing in that historic uh, choir. Amen. Completely agree. Benny Cummings was really way, way, way ahead of his time. Um, God only knows if if he'd lived longer, where he would be now. You know, so many choirs, so many choir directors, so many uh, writers of music have um, really used Benny as 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 one of their prime sources of inspiration. So, yeah, I was really blessed to um, be at that church. It was it was such an anointed. Uh, ministry. And certainly I'm sure that uh, has increased your faith and prepared you for the world today. It absolutely has. And, you know, when I was younger, I thought, you know, some of the stuff was a little obsessive, you know, like <laughs> real extreme. <laughs> but I thank God for that solid holiness upbringing. I really, really do. And it has really given me the discipline and um, to hold my tongue, you know, at certain places and certain times, because Long Island is a difficult place um, to grow up for people of African descent. Um, it's, it's really racist. And, and, um, and I, so I thank God for giving me, um, putting me in a place where I can help and help, help our young people and our people in general just to navigate through uh, some, some of these um some of these situations that we have to, to, to live in. Well said. And so uh, Ms. Brazley is going to share with us uh, today. She is a uh, well-educated and well-rounded uh, person as far as the community is concerned and the world as large and the, the faith community as well as we've already stated. Tell us a little bit uh what, I know you want to share several things with us today, and so as we stated, uh, you are a resident of the village of Hempstead, and you've been here for quite a while, and you've seen uh, Hempstead at its best and at its worst, I'm sure, and everywhere in between and whatever today is like. <laughs> yeah. What would you like to share yeah. with our listeners on today? Well, I think that there are a lot of nuggets about Hempstead. Um where history is concerned, because black history is American history. You know, I, I, I don't I agree. understand how people try to separate the two. It is American history, and it lives 365 days, you, you know. Um, but Hempstead had a lot of significant things happen, you know, specifically Hempstead. And so um, 
I'm amazed because I grew up here and a part of the curriculum uh, when I was a, a child, I, I went to school in Hempstead, uh, you had to take Long Island history. And I never learned any of this stuff in Long Island history. And at the time I went to school in Hempstead, uh, you know, Jackson, Maine is, is where I went. And the school went from first up uh, no, kindergarten to eighth grade at that time. You graduated from eighth grade and you went to high school, period. Um, and so, but Hempstead Jackson School was predominantly black. It was all black. You know, I remember three white kids, you know, in, in my classes growing up. So um, for me, never to have heard any of this was amazing to me. And some of it I just recently learned. But Hempstead was majority white until mid-20th century. Um, we had a significant black population from 1651. Um, <laughs> there were a significant number of, of black people living in the village of Hempstead. Okay. Um, so, what did you say? I said okay. Okay. I'm listening. So, so okay. So between, I would say about seven to 1700, uh, 17% of Long Island was black um, and virtually all enslaved, of course, um, in the 1700s. So we've always been here in a pretty substantial number. Um, 19th century, uh, Hempstead's diversity increased, you know, because, of course, you had the military base here at Mitchell Field. And during World War II, uh, you had a diverse group of people, and many of them stayed here. Uh, and so at Mitchellfield, they had this private, Lloyd A. Taylor, and he was a transportation dispatcher at Mitchellfield. He spoke Latin, Greek, Spanish, French, German, and Japanese. And um, the brother was a, a, a medical student, um, before, you know, being drafted, Temple University. But he spent two hours a day studying languages as a hobby. So this brother was a tremendous asset to Mitchellfield, <laughs> you know, because during World War II, you had people from all over the world coming through Long Island. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this guy, I mean, who, who's ever even heard of him? But he's right here at Mitchell Field. Uh, another thing I think is really interesting was, um, and I just found this out maybe about a year, maybe two years ago. Thorogood Marshall had a major case against de facto segregation in the incorporated village of Hempstead. And that case, 49. And that's why in the 1950s, he won. The case, I, the case lasted, uh, I think it was six years. In the 1950s, he won the case. And that's why at one point, Hempstead had the largest percentage of black home ownership in all of the island. Um, wow. A lot of people settled here. As you know, our former governor, um, David Patterson, grew up in Hempstead. And I'm sure Basil Patterson was, was instrumental, you know, it, I know he played a big factor in that case. Um, and we've heard the stories as to how, uh, you know, David's family moved here because David was legally blind and, he, you know, in the city school system, they wouldn't allow him to go to public school. But Long Island didn't have those issues. So I don't think it just was circumstance that they, they happened to wind up in Hempstead. I think that law case, because he was a major player in the NAACP mm -hmm. of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, was established in Hempstead in 1932. Um, we don't talk about that. N not many people know about that. You know, so there's, there's a lot of rich, rich history um, in our in our village, um, there was a woman by the name of um, what was her name? Her last name was Jones. 
her name will come back to me. I'm sorry. It'll come to me. But um, she was the first um, woman licensed to practice medicine in Mississippi. Um, uh, she she was a, um, a activist. She belonged to a lot of different organizations. She did a lot in the women's suffrage movement. Um, but she migrated to New York. She landed in uh, Brooklyn, founded um, a house there. But then she moved to Hempstead um, in, I think, the tw- 1928, in the 1920s. Yeah, 1920s, she moved to Hempstead. And she established a medical practice here in Hempstead. And she joined some other women from the community and they organized the Harriet Tubman Community House um, in 1928. And she was the director of that settlement house, um, I don't know, for a little less than a decade. But that Tubman house is right on Laurel Avenue up the street from King's Temple. And I, when my, my family's from Maryland, but when my mom and, and, um, and sisters came to New York, my aunt, you know, most they came as sleep-ins. And my aunt didn't want to spend her weekend, her time off, you know, at at the at you know the house that she worked, because then they would work you. And um and she had a room in the Tubman house. Um, so the Tubman house embraced many of the women that came to Hempstead and the surrounding areas as sleep-ins, and and really gave them a place that was like home and gave them some skills and taught them some things. And many of them, you know, moved out of that Tubman house and got homes of their own in the village. So, I mean, it's, it's some really good things that happen right here in Hempstead that, that are, you know, we don't talk about because, honestly, we didn't know. I mean, I knew about the Tubman house because Miss Latimer, Kim Latimer's mother, um, her, she did a lot with the Tubman House later in the 70s, the, the 70s, like when we were in high school, and she was always trying to get us engaged. But that Tubman House did a lot of cotillions and did a lot still to train black women. Um, and so I would love for us to do something to celebrate those women, Miss um, Whitaker and Miss Latimer and all those women that kept that Tubman House going in my generation, you know. So, um, yeah. That is a a lot of uh, a few hundred years of history in a very short time. And I believe with the Tubman Houses, I am told that that is the part of Hempstead that I believe that uh, was pretty much dedicated to African Americans. One of the parts, or we call it the hills. Right, right. Because right. remember, you. Um, Dr. Dr. Rainsford, Dr. Richards, they were all on Grove Street. Remember that? Uh, you might not remember. I'm older than you. Nah. But when I was a kid, there was there were a group of doctors, black doctors, um, and they were in that Grove Street area. Um, that big gray house on the corner. I think that was Dr. Richards. I don't want to start mixing the doctors up, but um, but we did have our own little enclave of black doctors in that area. But yes, it, it was called the hills. <laughs> I hailed from the hikes, you know, but Martin Luther King Drive, a lot of us, you know, came to, we lived there too. We, my family lived there. So, Which wasn't yeah. originally intended for African Americans necessarily. Oh, it wasn't. King Drive. Low income because you had Mitchell Field there. Now remember, they were catering <laughs> to, to that base. And when when they built Martin Luther King Drive, so well, which was Wilclo actually, um, until he he actually visited when he came did that New York tour and he he visited Long Island. He came to Hempstead. He went to Lakeview, you know. He went to Hostra, but he actually drove drove down uh, Martin Luther King Drive or Wilclo. But yeah, wow. we we have a strong strong history, which is why um, we really have to organize ourselves and make sure that that museum um, 
survive whatever is getting ready to come and, you know, whatever is getting ready to go. Uh, but, but we need to understand that that museum, it started in the old bus terminal, and I believe it was six, it was when I turned 14. It was the, the summer I turned 14. That was my first job in that museum, which was called the Black History Museum at that time in the old bus terminal. And, um, and we spent half, our, half the day at the library doing research, and then the other half, we, um, that's when the Black Panthers started that lunch program, and it, it kind of infiltrated the country. And, and then the government started doing a lunch program, but, but the Black Panthers were the first to do it. Um, but we did that lunch program. We had lunches we gave out, and then we do tours of the, of the museum. So that had to be in, like, 69, something like that, when that museum was first established. So now it moved, you know, it moved to Franklin Street. We have to make sure start some kind of foundation or some kind of something to ensure that that museum lasts and that it tells, you know, the history in Long Island because we do have a rich history. And, and there is so much um, that, as you said, you know, being educated in Hempstead School District as well as Uniondale, uh, I do feel like my teachers and educators at the time did their best to make us proud of our culture and history I don't necessarily know that they taught us everything that you, that you uh, presented on this afternoon, but I, it's probably because they didn't know a lot of, a lot no. of that. Um, some of them probably weren't from absolutely. the local area and so Yeah, I, absolutely they did not know. Some of these things are just such a well-kept secret, which is why I started talking about it because, <laughs> I mean. Some, we, somebody we should, make, right? Yes, yes, and I really that this that this case that Thurgood Marshall waged, um, eighteen forty nine, is amazing to me, and how I lived here all my life, and never heard of it, until a few years. You know, I joined. This is how I, I stumbled across it. I joined the Chamber of Commerce to to try to help build out. You know, the Chamber of Commerce in the village, mm-hmm. and um, and I was developing. Uh, um, a brochure for the chamber and I, I, I was just looking for some historic information to put in the brochure and I stumbled across this case while I was just researching different things that happened in Hempstead and I was amazed but I'm still limited as to what I've been able to find you know but in looking for more information I found out um, that Thurgood Marshall also had a lawsuit against the Freeport Police Department. <laughs> wow. And he described that situation as being more tense than any case he had in the deepest part of Mississippi. You know, and I was like, what? Who knew that Thurgood Marshall sued the, the Freeport Police Department? Then I started looking at other things and, you know, Grand Avenue in Freeport, you know, how it got its name because there was such a a large Ku Klux Klan population, especially in Freeport. And the Grand Wizard lived on Grand Avenue. And I guess they couldn't name it after the Grand Wizard, but they named the street Grand Avenue because the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Huh? <laughs> if they if they had done that, I'm sure uh, cancel culture would have had the name removed by now. Well, maybe we'll see. <laughs> we got to look more into it. But it's it's in um it's in one of Marshall's books. I can't think of the title of it right now. Okay. <laughs> so that is that is something for our our listeners uh, to look up and research, and we always encourage them to do that. So one of our listeners uh, made a observation. And uh, there was a, a lady that whose name you said Jones was it Verena uh, Morton Jones? Oh yes, you yeah. Met, I could I could only think of her last yes. name. Yes, 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 that's the whole. 
Verena Morton Jones. Thank you, yeah. whoever that is. <laughs> okay. Shout out to the Norman family. All right. Shout out to the Norman family. Thank you, Norman family. <laughs> They'll get me later for that. Verena that. <laughs> Morton Jones. That that's absolutely right. Okay. And so also most of us, and so you mentioned uh, Hempstead and Freeport, and so we have something here that we refer to in uh, Long Island or Nassau County uh, as the Black Belt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And the Black Belt is where where we are, (laughs) is where we live, you know. And what makes the black belt significant, and then, you know, while we're shouting out, we're talking about history and, and what is significant, we can't, we can't forget um, Dorothy Goosby and Mr. Prelo, um, who filed that lawsuit against the town of Hempstead because it was, at, you know, it was at large. Those elections were at large. And we, we had large numbers in certain pockets but not enough numbers for any black person to win an elected seat in the town of Hempstead. And so when they filed that suit, Goosby versus the town of Hempstead, started out with a lot of people, but um, everybody dropped, you know, you lost your job, you lost, they, everyone in that lawsuit, they, you know, they lost a lot of things or were threatened to lose things. And so they dropped out. So when they finally went to court, it was senior councilwoman Goosby, you know, senior councilwoman now, and um, Mr. Prelo from Lakeview, um, they were the only two left standing, you know. And now that case, which is a very important case nationwide, it's been cited in all, over 200 cases um, in in this country. And nobody talks about that. To me, that that's important, too, the fact that Goosby versus the town of Hempstead has been cited in over 200 um, anti-racist court cases throughout the country that really set precedent in a lot of places. So we can't forget about her either. I I dare not forget her in in this conversation. Shout out to Senior Councilwoman Dorothy Goosby. And, uh, yeah, she is also a part of not only just the town of Hempstead, but the Village of Hempstead, <laughs> and right. so very, very important people come from the village of Hempstead. That's right. And, That's right. Uh, I... And as you as you talk about history, um, it will you know also remind you of other things and other people, and then you'll start remembering. And for example, um, I think we had this conversation before about I, so I went I was attended the middle school in Hempstead or the Alberta B. Gray Schultz Middle School. Uh, but nobody yeah. ever explained to us who the lady was, you know? Right. So, right. so these these things happen. Now, when I was uh, – I also uh, attended uh, Marguerite Golden Roads. It was actually when I was uh, – when I was a student there, it was Washington School but they changed it mm-hmm. in the process of me being a student. And so we they changed it to Washington Roads, which was after Mrs. Marguerite Golden Roads, which was was a retired principal by the time that I was there. But what they did, there was a, or there still is, the first one-room schoolhouse in Hempstead or something like that, uh, located on the property of the Schultz Middle School, and what they did is they had Miss Rhodes, which is Hempstead history. They had her as the person that would present to the students. We would go on field trips to that one-room schoolhouse, and she would present to us and, you know, explain to us her humble beginnings in the South and small schoolroom settings like that. So I don't know if that still happens. Well, we know Miss Rhodes passed away some time ago, but right. I, I don't know if this generation, the same living history that my generation or your generation or previous generations have had to add to their knowledge of our culture and history. Right. Well, that one room school story, <laughs> <laughs> we definitely weren't exposed um, to it. 
but I think that that is an awesome project that I would love to look into, seeing if we could restore that house and and restore uh, what she did, because that's amazing. Um, You know, we're made to feel ashamed of our history and the things that have happened to us, Uh, but these talking about these things just show our young people, show all of us how strong we actually are and what we've been able to overcome, you know, because when I started, like I said, Jackson School um, was was completely black for all intents and purposes when I, when I was in it, from kindergarten to the eighth grade. But most of the educators, most of my teachers were white. And um, it wasn't until we got in junior high and Dr. Jenkins came to Jackson, and he went and did a tour of the um, historically black colleges and universities and he brought back Mr. Curry, Mr. Adams, Ted Adams, um, Lewis Range, Laura Harris. You know, he brought all of those teachers back from those schools and, and hired them, Mr. Bailey. And so our junior high wing, it, you know, is when we, I started experiencing black teachers. Um, even even our Spanish teacher Laura Harris was black. Every you know he he wow. so it was really good for the students in Jackson. That was a tremendous experience, and and that is when we I really started looking at things differently because the the required reading, what they were teaching us. I mean, it was totally different than what. And not to say that I didn't have good teachers in Jackson in my earlier years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that they didn't understand us, our history and our culture, like these teachers, you know, that were hired in in, in the, the, the late sixties, early seventies. So and they you know, many of them became great in the district, you know, yes. doesn't know Tyree Curry, you know, like yeah. the one it the one and only he's the best that ever did it. Right. Right. Yeah, and Ted Adams, you know, who, you know, I mean, but these guys were all in that in that sweep by Hempstead Jackson School getting his first black principal, and then that principal, you know, um, willfully hiring um, young black educators. Well, so, that is uh, that is that is awesome, and I know that you've gone on to also work with the. Uh, school board and school district and so we're going to uh, take a brief and we'll come back and we'll talk about that and kind of give our listeners if you have a question or a fact about Hempstead that you think we don't know or that you'd like to share uh, you can dial in after this break our number is 619-924-0800 our special guest today Miss Shelly Brazy you're great stay tuned <laughs> Cummings? Amen. Yeah. 
That was Benny Cummings, Your Grace. I love it. So so with all your uh, education and certainly you, you have uh, given back to the community in more ways than one, not only uh, just uh, celebrating black history through telling the story, uh, but we know that you are also a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, et cetera, and certainly uh, you also work with the school board. So let's uh, tell us briefly about giving back to the community and what and well, what this generation should know about that. Well, where much is given, much is required. And God doesn't bless us with everything that we have for us to keep it to ourselves, you know, and you can't be blessed and grow if you don't share it. And so I think that it is, you know, it's just it's just a part of life, making sure that people benefit. You know, I told you about, you know, how we were blessed with those school teachers that really poured into us. Um, it, it's my responsibility, everything that they shared with me to make sure that I share as much with others. And so um, our community, I watch Hempstead um, transform into, you know, we went from the best. To, to almost the bottom of, of, of the totem pole. And, and what happens in a community like Hempstead, um, they have to make a scapegoat. When I was a kid, Grumman's, Ferry, and Fairchild were the largest employers of people in Long Island. When those companies closed and moved or whatever happened, um, what happens to the economy? Now, you know, it's three sides to every story. My perspective of what happened was you had to create uh, a, a, some kind of industry that was going to sustain this place. When I was a kid, Nassau County Jail was a little teeny place. Now it spans most of Carmen Avenue. That juvenile detention center at the other end of Carmen Avenue has grown tremendously as well, making the criminal justice system in Nassau County the largest employer of people. And in the juvenile detention center, when I was doing some volunteer work, 50% of the intake in that juvenile detention center, Nassau County Juvenile Detention Center, is from one zip code, 11550. Now, to some people, maybe that just happens. To me, that's calculated and very, very specific. And so as the education system started to, you know, plunder um, and we stopped educating our children and, you know, you you put all these pilots and and all the things that happen in our community um, and you just have a very high concentration of poor people that don't get services. And that, that is the result. And so I think that we have to give back. Because we have to save ourselves. We Nobody's coming to save us. All they're going to do is exploit us. And so talking about this history, talking about how we recover, economic development is something that we do not talk about at all. Us supporting our own businesses um, and why, how businesses grow. You know, you every other nationality comes into this con- country and they support their businesses. And we'll give every dime to someone else. And and so we can't we can't grow. So we have to have conversations and dialogue and talk about these things um and and, and pull ourselves together. We have advanced tremendously. We are more educated now than ever before, but we still don't invest in ourselves and in our community and our children. And so we're always gonna be marching and begging for jobs because our businesses don't grow because we spend 98% of our money with other cultures and we're the only people that do it. So we give back because when you have information, you have to share it because when people know better, they do better. So uh, the school board was something that, you know, Bishop White and uh, (laughs) Bishop Watson, (laughs) I miss them so much. But um, they kind of pushed me into. Um, 
I never saw myself actually as any kind of political um, person, but they they just they pushed me. Um, they they both really made, stretched me and made me do things that I never would even consider. So and that was that was who they are, and that's the way they both they both were tremendous men that gave back communities. And so I'm, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to people who who had big hearts and gave a lot back um, to the community. So that's wow. pretty much, yeah. That is that is well said. I think you uh, okay. We in in that statement, I think you embodied the faith community. <laughs> so there was a there was a God piece. <laughs> There was a, a educational piece. There was an economic piece. Uh, what did what did I miss out? There was a, a real estate piece because uh, we should we used to be homeowners, and a lot of us aren't homeowners anymore. Or we've left. A lot of people have moved out, and whereas in the past the migration was towards the north or to Hempstead. The migration is towards the south, and so yeah. it has uh, left our community at a disadvantage because we aren't necessarily represented in the same way that we were able to be represented in the past. And uh, yeah. you, men- you mentioned about the um, about the prison system, which we could we could really reach and say that. That is actually an extension of the school to prison pipeline, which oh, is it another. Is. I don't even know if we have enough. I don't think I know we don't have enough time to talk about that because that's a whole nother story. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> that's a it whole is. nother story for a whole nother day, for for right. a whole nother hour. But it is important that we are represented as well in in the education system and what people don't realize that. In our communities uh, today, you don't necessarily have a lot of African-American teachers in our communities. And so you mentioned some names like uh, Mr. Adams and Mr. Curry and, you know, those those people I, I know. And it was Mr. Grizel, too. And so I, I do know those names because I've been a part of Hempstead. But also in the education system, there aren't as many black males as, as right, there could be. Yeah, especially now. There were more when, when I was a kid. Most of my teachers, black teachers, were male, um, but not anymore. And and I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know. We, we have a lot of workshops and a lot of work to do to get us back on course because we are the change we, we seek. Nobody else is going to do it for us, but we've got to we've got to start learning how to love ourselves and trust each other enough to pool our resources and buy some of these properties and 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 create these businesses. You know, I had an African gift shop in Hempstead in the '80s, and we did very well because we were the only game in town, and everybody came from Suffolk everywhere to my shop. But we had a Christmas that the economy had taken a dive and and most of the merchants did really, really poorly. But shops like mine did very well that Christmas. And, you know, I carry greeting cards from black entrepreneurs. I carry books from black authors, I had art from black artists, you know, almost everything I sold in my store was created by black manufacturers. Following year, because, you know, everybody studies the markets except us, and that's because, you know, we're, for the most part, first generation of businesses. Um, And they looked at how much money we made and what they didn't make. And that following year, everybody had black merchandise in their stores, black artifacts, black art, black books. They had black everything, and I can't comp- 
compete with a J.C. Penney's. I can't compete. Even Marshalls. Every everybody had it. Um, and what happened is those African shops that were all throughout the country were affected by that because mm-hmm. our people just didn't understand the value of supporting my shop because my shop, when I grow, I'm I'm employing black people. You know what I mean? And because pennies could sell something a little cheaper than me because they're buying for stores all over the country and I'm just buying for my little shop. Um, our loyalties changed and we, we, we turned to the mall and stores like mine closed. Um, wow. We have to see you know, like 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 um, in the Jewish community, you know, they'll tell you even if it costs a little more. They, the Torah tells us that we have to choose family. Um, I recently, you know, did this piece and I I played this clip, you know, because nobody believes in me when I say it. No, okay, well, well listen to her say it. Um, but but they tell you that, and we have to get in a place like that where even if it costs a little bit more, you know, um, you you went in a, a black store, you went in a restaurant, and you had a bad experience, you know, don't get on Facebook and try to kill the people because they made one mistake. Tell the people what happened so they can correct it and the business can grow. <laughs> and so we just, you know, we just have to look at the economics better. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to use economics as a tool like everybody else. And they, and they are simply applying, and I'm I'm going to say this in a broad way, they are simply applying God's word <laughs> to their That's to right. their life. But we apply God's word too, but it doesn't it doesn't work that way. All right, I'm going to leave that alone. I don't want to. All right, so anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to say that hopefully somebody understood that God's word is holistic. Okay, so that that even applies um, when you go shopping. I I remember when I was a kid, it was this lady that um, uh, she would testify, and she would the Lord tell me to do this, the Lord tell me to do that, the Lord tell me to go when to go shopping. Now that's a little it's a little extra, but um, <laughs> please apply God's words in all areas of your life. Um, with that being said. Um, our number six one nine nine two four zero eight zero zero. You have about two minutes to call in if you have something to say. In the meanwhile, Miss Brazley, we thank you for sharing unknown facts, this unknown history, uh, with our listeners around the world. Uh, putting uh, Hempstead, continue to put Hempstead on the map and sharing our history and our culture as well, and encouraging um, us to uh, make a change. Uh, are there any people that you would like to shout out today uh, that you haven't already mentioned or which you would like to mention again? No, well, listen, I, I appreciate you. I'd like to shout you out and the work that you're doing, sharing information, um, holistic information, you know, to the spiritual and natural man is so, so very important. And 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 I and I want you to know we appreciate it. It's not a lot of young people that really see the value in what you're doing, but you are really, um, um, you, you're really valuable to to the community of God. You know, the extended family of of God, and keep up the good work. And and some people I didn't you know not unknown facts because apparently you know the Normans was out there and they were able to help me um, come up with Sister Jones's full name. <laughs> So, you know, we just have to keep sharing the information with each other. And so thank you guys for stepping in and helping me when I I, I drew a blank, you know, with the sister's name. But thanks so well, much, Lamar. You're doing a fabulous job. Thank you, and certainly we appreciate you. The uh, community and the world appreciates you as well. I was supposed to make an announcement and I, I neglected to make that announcement, and I, I can't not make this announcement. Um, it's tonight. It is February the 26th, and I am going to share uh, something with our listeners, and this goes and coincides with our uh, Black History Month and our celebration. The celebration continues on uh, all different levels. 
and, and in different arenas. So the announcement that I want to make is about the voice that matters. This is the St. John's Baptist Church located at 632 Chautauqua Avenue in West Hempstead, New York, where the Reverend Dr. William Earl Thomas is the senior pastor, and certainly he's a leader of the Long Island Conference of Clergy as well. Uh, Reverend Hazel Thomas is the administrative pastor, presents the Voice That Matters debate scholarship fundraiser. That is tonight, Saturday, February 26, 2022, at 6 p.m. at the Malvern High School Auditorium, 80 Ocean Avenue in Malvern, New York. They're singing, they're dancing. Uh, the tickets are $25, uh, children 12 and under $10, uh, five and under is free. For additional information, to get your ticket for tonight, uh, call Sister Michelle DeVore, 917-579-4069, or Reverend Sheila Thomas, 516-761-4913. Uh, we hope to see you there tonight and uh, continue to be a blessing to our community. That is helping our community, our faith-based community that is investing in education, and that is applying God's word to the total mind, body, the trichotomy of man, body, soul, and spirit. And so we need to understand the natural things as well as the spiritual things of God. Thank you, Ms. Brazley, for sharing with us. We uh, pray God's blessings uh, upon you as you continue uh, the works of him that has sent you. And certainly we know that uh, God has people in everywhere in the vineyard. And so we are grateful that you are in the places that you are in uh, to make a change in this village, in the town, uh, in the state, around the world, uh, as you continue to touch hearts and lives. I think we're going to close uh, with God's will, God's way. Is that okay with you? Oh, yes. I love it. I love it. This That's is one of your early, favorites, early right? Don yes. Donnie had a little piece in here, Rosalind Cottrell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Who was who was who were the musicians? The musicians, of course, were Eggy and and uh, Jeffrey, uh, Willard Meeks, Rodney Plummer, played the bass. I think I think the bass was um, he's a bishop now. Jeffrey White. Yeah. All right. So listen, you our listeners got history from everywhere. They got choir history. They got gospel music history. They got local history. Uh, so we for that. Would you like to? Could close us in prayer, or do you? Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for being a part of this tremendous race of people called Africans in this country called America. We thank you for Brother Lamar and his vision for your people. Bless his radio station and bless each and every household that's tuned in on this afternoon. God, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you, and we thank you for bringing us through this pandemic and all of the other victories that you have blessed African Americans with. Thank you, God, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's will, God's way. There's a way you can make
Just one more time. It all. 